Welcome to the 2019 Christmas special for the Corey Act Show. I've got a lot of thoughts from you and the deeper meaning of Christmas right after this. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Oh, 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 episode there is plenty to do including a lot of feedback from you and even though it is indeed the Christmas special if we have time I want to get to some of the feedback I got from last week's episode and not that feedback was not just through uh, not just through radio stuff as I put that out on social media there was a lot of response to my idea regarding banning internet pornography I'd love to get back to some of that and some other listener feedback I also saw Star Wars I'd like to give you that review and of course, that is part of Christmas because it's become part of the American experience as a new Star Wars movie comes out every December. I think it's five years in a row. So I'll give you my Star Wars review and some of the deeper meaning there. I have another thought about Christmas as a secular holiday versus the thing we're supposed to be practicing. And then this is where we will begin. I have my Christmas reflection. The, I want to reflect on a Christmas song and a Christmas biblical text that's where we'll start the day. Before we do get started, I should introduce myself. My name is Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to The Corey Truax Show. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk right here on The Corey Truax Show. Thank you for listening. If you are listening on Saturday, that is on uh, His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9. Hope you had a great Christmas, and uh, Happy New Year is awaiting you. If you are listening on the podcast, wherever you find podcasts for that, I am quite grateful that you're giving me this time in a very busy time of the year. Here we go. Every Christmas on this show, which is on its like fourth year now, believe it or not, the Corey Act show, fourth year, I switch in the month of December the theme song. And I play for you this, this thing that you just heard, the In Excelsis Deo, Glory to God in the Highest. Because you only hear that first verse, and even in, in churches if you sing this, a lot of times that second verse gets left out. I think it's important. The second verse of this very famous Christmas song that you just heard there, you heard the Reliant K version. The second verse is a question. It starts with a question. It goes, shepherds, why this jubilee? So it gives you this picture of shepherds hearing from the angels up on that hill in Bethlehem and going down into the city, and they're telling everybody, the Messiah has come. God has kept his promise. And they are telling everybody they see the angels have appeared to us, and this is happening. This is real. And so the, the song responds, Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why these songs of happy cheer? What great brightness did you see? What glad tiding did you hear? It's this, this big question to the shepherds. Whatever attitude they're giving off, the shepherds, it's causing those around them to ask some serious question. What's happened to you? What's so great going on right now? I wonder if you've ever experienced that in your life, in a really good time in your life. People would ask you, and you just seem so happy. You seem like everything's going quite well. And they want to know in the song, Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why these songs prolong? And the response from the shepherds in the song comes in the third verse, and it's, We'll come to Bethlehem and see. See what? See him whose birth 
the angels sing, Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King, that were Christ, chosen one, Messiah. And so there's this happiness, there's this joy that the shepherds had at the announcement of Jesus, and when they're asked to explain it, well, what, what could make you so joyful? What could make you so happy? And their answer is just come and see. Come to Bethlehem and see. It echoes this invitation that later happens in Jesus' ministry, where I believe it's, I think it's Peter and Andrew, what, it's definitely one set of, of the disciples where one is already, has already been following Jesus and is, as a, a future disciple, is being skeptical, like, why, why are you so excited about this Jesus guy? The disciple just says to the other, just come and see. Just come and see. Come and behold him. And that will lead you to, then, the, the more important thing than song lyrics, the actual biblical text. In Luke 2, I read this to you two weeks ago on purpose, that account of the angels to the shepherds got a lot of good language in there. In fact, I was, before I came to prepare the show, I could record it, I was giving one of my nephews a preview, Caleb, and I started, started quoting the scripture to him off the top of my head, and I think he could tell I was just trying to impress him with my memory, <laughs> and he kind of rolled his eyes at me. But it's around verse 10, what the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I could continue on, right? This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. That glory to God in the highest is actually from the song when you put that into, I think that's Latin, in excelsis Deo. Glory to God, God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. So we have this theme. This Christmas reflection I want you to take with you is this. We have, why are you so happy? Well, come and behold. It's Jesus. Come and behold Jesus. Come and see. Come to Bethlehem and see. The shepherd's first reaction to this angel is fear, as we talked about last week, that makes total sense. Or maybe it was, yeah, it was last week. Why, or two weeks ago, why it makes total sense. Why they would be scared of this angel. That's, that is the, that's really the theme in the Bible, by the way, when angels show up. People are usually terrified of angels. That should tell you something about their appearance and their, the effect they have. He says to them, fear not. And, and as if they ask the question, well, why shouldn't we be afraid? You're an angel. This is terrifying. His response is, for behold. I bring you good news. What's the good news? Uh, a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. So whether it is the happiness and joy, how do you explain the happiness and joy? Hey, come and see. Come and see. Come and behold Jesus. And if it's, hey, don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Well, why? Hey, well, behold. Come and see. It's Jesus. So this point for you in this Christmas reflection is this. Behold Jesus. Behold the reality of this God. Behold the reality of the maker of all things, the one who scoops out oceans and pours water into them, the one who holds planets in their orbit. That God put on flesh as a baby. Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus in living a life of temptation and hardship, but never actually sinning, 
never ne- never complaining in a way that was that was sinful, N- never looking never getting too down on his circumstances, never giving in to the temptations that Satan brought his way. Behold Jesus, that he stands knowing in a room with those who would with one who would betray him and moments earlier washed his feet, washed the feet of Judas before Jesus Judas used those feet to go betray him. Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus who went up on a cross and said several things, as one preacher said, said several things, but one of the things he didn't say was maybe the most powerful, that when he was being mocked by one of the other people being crucified, he says, if if you be king, if you be savior, pull yourself off that cross. And Jesus says nothing back to him. It was as if the confidence, the quiet confidence of Jesus was saying, you just wait till Sunday morning. Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus who did die on that cross. Behold Jesus, who had his body anointed and put in a tomb and sealed. Behold Jesus, who three days later used all the power of the omnipotent God to say to death itself, I'm not going to be dead anymore. Got up out of that grave. Behold Jesus, who will come again. All of this reflection that this, this message of Christmas is to behold Jesus, cast your eyes on him. It made me think of a, one of my favorite stories. I don't think it's apocryphal. Like, I think this actually happened, but the, both men, as part of the story in history, they tell it a little different. And so I think it happened, and they just have different memories of it. But around 100 years ago, a little bit, well, actually a little bit more than that now, there were two friends at Oxford, two friends over in England, Oxford College, one in the English faculty and one in the literature faculty. Well, there were two different parts of the English uh, faculty then. And they had long talks. You can go to Britain right now and go find one of the pubs where they would have deep conversations. You can actually take the walk if you want. The walk, of the route they would take by a small river, not by the Thames, but by a small river where you can see where C.S. Lewis, at the time an atheist, would walk and talk with... J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien the Christian. He would have written very successful books like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And before the C.S. Lewis conversion, they both recount one of the arguments that Tolkien makes to C.S. Lewis. The argument is, don't you feel the longing that comes through the great art that you read, C.S. Lewis? Or when you see that painting, when you hear the, the, the opera, when you read the great piece of literature, you're in some way satisfied by it. But don't you feel the longing that it creates? That it, it feels like there, it is as if you wanted this story and then the story was there to satisfy you. But it doesn't quite satisfy enough. There's always something you feel like you're missing. And, and C.S. Lewis would even, in the conversation, he admits, he would say, yeah, that's true. That even in the most awesome story, the most awesome painting, the most awesome opera or, or concerto that I heard, as moved by it as I was, there's something I knew I would, there's something there that it made, me, it made me want more. And it's Tolkien who made the argument, but C.S. Lewis, who eventually, finally, put it into words. The Tolkien argument was, when, when there is a desire for something it implies, that, that logically, that that thing must exist. If, a, if we hunger for food, well, it implies food, food is there. Hunger implies food. 
A duckling, the way Tolkien wrote it, a duckling wanting to get in water implies there's some kind of water. And the implication then of you wanting something more transcendent, that the greatest opera and the greatest piece of literature and the greatest painting and the greatest arts, they, they swell something up in you that you want to respond to it, but they're just not quite satisfying enough. C.S. Lewis eventually writes, if I find in myself a desire that cannot, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, it's not exactly, exactly right. If I find in myself a desire that nothing on this world can meet, it is logical to assume that I am not made for this world. That is exactly correct. Because nothing in this world can satisfy but behold Jesus. He's everything we ever hoped for. He's a, the fulfillment of every promise we've ever longed to have, to have kept. And that's what we do this Christmas season. We behold, we dwell on, we cast our eyes on Jesus and all the satisfaction that he brings. Merry Christmas! Happy Advent season from His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9. When we come back, we will continue the Corey Truax Show with another thought on Christmas, and plus we'll get into Star Wars and other listener feedback. We'll do that when you return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. I know that you might immediately go, bro, that is super self-indulgent, but this is my Christmas special. It's my Christmas spectacular. And so that very average voice and even below average piano playing you just heard, hey, that's me. I, I did that. And I thought I would share that with you. I will not make that normal. You will not hear me doing my own bumper music and rejoins. I promise that will not happen. Uh, but it's Christmas. I learned a holy night on piano. It's a blast. That is the best Christmas hymn, by the way. And there is no argument uh, against that. Oh, holy night. is just It's just wonderful. Hey, if you do follow along on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you will find all of my piano musings and practices and things that I'm trying to learn there and the songs that I put together. I was saying to someone here recently, I think it was my dad, that playing piano has been so much like learning basketball, where in, when you learn basketball, you have to run the drills. You just have to do the dribbling drills, the passing drills, the shooting drills by yourself in the gym. Just run the drills. And the drills aren't the fun part. It's actually the hard work. And piano is the same way. You just got to run the drills. You got to play the scales. You got to play the inversions. You just got to do them over and over until you memorize them all. But the other way you learned basketball was just to play. Just to get the guys together, we're just going to play. We're going to learn the game by playing. And one of the other ways I learned to play is I'm picking a song and I'm going to learn it. I'm just going to learn to play this song. But you got to do both. You got to do the drills and the playing of the song. And equally on the basketball side, what I found was I was pretty pretty good with my right hand fairly quickly. And on piano, pretty good with my right hand. And left hand's a problem. A lot of, a lot of stuff can't do over there. So anyway, I'm playing piano out there. And so uh, I will not be so self-indulgent after that. Okay, next up. I've come to this conclusion. I know that Christmas has the word Christ in it. And, I, and maybe this is one of the reasons I have found more affinity for Advent over the last three or four years. But there is definitely in the United States, there's a pagan holiday out there called Christmas. Like it's, it's got its own everything. Like it's, so it's not the real one. It's not the Jesus Christmas. So just to give examples here. Like you can do Christmas and just do Frosty the Snowman, Santa, uh, Elf, Elf on a Shelf. 
You can do it with White Christmas, the Christmas song, Jingle Bells. Like you, you can do this entire thing, call it Christmas, and there's literally nothing Christian about it at all. It's got its whole other set of it's got its whole set of stories and songs that has nothing to do with Christmas at all. And it makes me uncomfortable because here, here's what I know. Now I got unbelievers, people who are not Christians, they're not following Jesus. Nothing about this holiday is commemorative to them about Jesus incarnating, putting on a body and coming to earth. It's just this American thing, and I guess we do it worldwide, but it's particularly here in America, a time where we get stuff, we give stuff, and we have Santa and Up on the Shelf and the other stories and movies that we have that have nothing to do with Jesus, the songs that have nothing to do with Jesus, the parties that have nothing to do with Jesus, and then we're saying the same word. Like when I say, Merry Christmas, I mean, I hope this holiday that commemorates and recognizes the greatest miracle in human history, God becoming man, God becoming a man, putting on flesh. That's what I mean, whereas when a secular person says, Merry Christmas, what they mean is, Merry December 25th, and it's generally surrounding time. I mean, there are people saying Merry Christmas who are also going to recognize winter solstice, a pagan thing, on December 21st. And it makes me very uncomfortable. I'm saying Merry Christmas. I mean Jesus. They're saying Merry Christmas, and they just mean Frosty the Snowman. But we're saying the same thing, and it's very confusing. It's very conf- it should be confusing for the Christian. It should be confusing for the, for the non-believer. This is one of the reasons I was so confused in my younger years by the older people in my life who were so upset about places like Target saying Happy Holidays and Bill O'Reilly always doing his War on Christmas thing. Like, we say Christmas here in America. Hey, guys, Christmas isn't American. It's Jesus. He was really Jewish and some other things in his background, too. Guys, Christmas started across the Atlantic in the Middle East. And you get so mad, we say Christmas in America. Listen, if you're not following Jesus, I don't want you to say Christmas. I don't want you to be confused that you're doing a Jesus thing. But there was this, uh, this is why I just never get offended by happy holidays. If you're not following Jesus, don't say Merry Christmas. You have no dealings with this holiday. It's ours. It's a Christian holiday. The thing you guys have made up here that's Jesus-less, you're calling it Christmas, but it's not. So when you say happy holidays, it doesn't offend me at all. This is why I see all the people sharing on social media, President Trump said Merry Christmas. So? So a pagan said Merry Christmas? This is important to you? It's important to you for the pagans to follow your religion, even though it's not real. Like, wh- what is this interest that we have to force our religion on others? Not to win people over, but just, you got to fake it. We require it of you. We, we require this time of year uh, in the culture. We require you say our word. You say our thing because it's ours. You, you didn't create any Christians here. You've actually caused people to resent us more. The, the way that we say it, we're all saying Merry Christmas. We're saying the same thing. It creates a false equivalence between a civil American religion, what Americans do, and what Jesus people do. And I'm going to say this every chance I get. There's a big difference between Americans and Jesus people. They're not the same thing. So this is just, it's another reason, actually, I don't like Christmas. Because absolute non-believing pagans celebrate it. 
and then we do too. And it gets all confused. This is part of our calling as Christians, is to be a peculiar people. That's what Peter says. That's what we're supposed to be. We actually should, in our culture, not we don't have to be radically different in, in this way that everyone just is kind of alienated by us. But we are supposed to be so different that we stick out, that we're distinct, that the way that we practice Christmas would look very different than how the rest of the world practices Christmas. And it's gotten me to the point where I don't even want to call it Christmas anymore. Like, I wish Chris- Christians would just say to them, all right, you you got it. You you guys can have this word, Christmas. We'll pick up something else. We'll just call it Advent. But we, we can't keep saying what you're saying because we don't mean the same thing. I mean, that's I guess it might be defeatist. You know, I got the same. I got to the same place on marriage. Like marriage is this holiest of institutions. It's the first institution God created. Is the institution of marriage, and we we got to the place through first no fault divorce laws, and then later through including absolutely anybody in a, in a marriage covenant, that marriage means utterly nothing. It's just, it's meaningless in this culture. It's just two people sort of promising to love each other. And if we, if we don't, if it ends up being a little rough, or we stop loving each other, we're just going to stop. Just got to be quickly out of this. We'll just split up the property and get out of here. Like, whatever that is, it's not marriage. And so I got to that spot where I was like, all right, well, can we have marriage back, please? That's a Jesus thing. That's a God thing. That's our idea. You guys come up with something else because you took our word and you messed it up. And equally with Christmas. All right, you guys have taken our word and you messed it up. And, and so we're with marriage, I want to take it back. With Christmas, I just kind of want to say, all right, you guys can have it. We'll do something else. Uh, we're going to call it because we actually have another thing. We can just do Advent if we want. Okay, so that then leads right into an email from a listener I wanted to get to because this gets on my nerves a little bit too. There's more to it, but Brandon wrote in, who is, by the way, Brandon is one of the supporters of the show, as in over at Anchor.fm or on the Anchor app, he's a monthly financial contributor to the show. And you go, hey, that sounds like an awesome thing to be. I love this show. I doubt any of you love this show, but you have some affinity for it. Like, hey, I should give that show five bucks a month or something. You know, you could do that. Brandon does that. It's really cool that he does it. Brandon wrote in and said, that he, he's also uncomfortable with, specifically, the mingling of Christian hymns with Christmas songs. And I'll take that to a church setting specifically. But in all realms of life where, where we're involved with Christmas music, I'm not, I'm not telling you don't listen to Bing Crosby. I'm just telling you there's this mingling that we should pay attention to. That when we have... Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That's a very specific message about what Christmas is. And if we follow that up then with, I'm dreaming of a wife. If we start that, oh wait, that's, the, uh, that's a different message. And if, and if we're doing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And then the next song is chestnuts roasting on an open fire. We've mingled two things and they're not the same. Like that's what I mean by the, the secular version of Christmas has all of its own stuff. And so even mingling those things, is a, it's a little confusing. It's, it's a weird message. Again, I'm not asking you to not play Bing Crosby and sing Jingle Bells with your kids. I'm just saying distinction. What are the ways that we can show what we're celebrating is not what you're celebrating? You're, you've made something up. You've made up a civil Christmas, has nothing to do with Jesus, and the one that we're practicing is the real one. And Brandon makes a good point that specifically with Christmas songs, like I, I would have no place, no place 
in a Christian church service to do something like White Christmas or Christmas Song or the, I can't think of the others, uh, or I'll Be Home for Christmas. Like, that's no, no, no. Those aren't actual Christmas songs about Jesus. That happens to be about a date that comes around December 25th every year, right? That's, that's there's a distinction we should have on those things. Okay. Uh, let's do, yeah, I'll do the rest of the, I was going to do the Star Wars review, but since we are in a listener feedback from Brandon, let's continue on. Listener feedback. Yeah, so here we go. Uh, here on the Christmas special, the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with it. I This is not really listener feedback more than a conversation I had. Let me connect it all. I do, from time to time, get Facebook messages, Instagram messages, some emails at Show at gmail.com, by the way. Show at gmail.com. About church stuff. I actually put out a call once on Instagram, like, hey, if you've got a, like, a horror story regarding churches... I want to hear it. And I've had conversations with personal friends, listeners to the show, and sometimes those overlap. Sometimes the personal friend and listener to the show, that's the same person. About all of the stuff, like the hurt, the hurtful things that churches have done. And recently I was talking to Emily. If you remember Emily, she was on the Enneagram epi- episode that we did, which is it ended up being the second most listened to episode of the year for me, by the way. Number one was when Doug and I, my big brother, talked about Beth Moore and the role of women in the church. That was my most listened to episode. But we, uh, Emily and I were talking recently, and this, this idea of being hurt by the church came up. And I will admit, something in me, like my hackles get up when someone starts talking about how the church hurt them. And so because this is, I've talked about this with listeners, and it's a conversation that came up, I want to address it. Let me say this with boldness. No church has ever hurt anybody. People have hurt people. People who had positions in the church have hurt people. People with authority in the church have hurt people. The church didn't do anything. People in the church did some terrible things, and they should be held accountable for it and called out for it. This gets to me because here we are at the Christmas spirit, and you think about what Christmas time what Jesus came to do. He certainly did come to redeem a people, and he ends up calling that people. He came to redeem a people for himself, and we end up knowing that that gets called his bride. It gets called his body. We are the body and the bride of this Jesus that we celebrate this time of year. I've given the illustration on the show before. I'm going to do it again. I, I can't say to any of my guy friends, and I really like you a lot. We get along really well. But that bride of yours, I can't stand her. That wife of yours, she's, ugh. I, can't, I, can't even, I don't ever want to be around her. I can't do that, right? I'm going to lose that friend. Same thing here. Jesus is not just the one-off. Jesus is a package deal. You get Jesus, you get its church. All right, You get his church. And there will be people in that church that are troublesome. Some of them will hurt you. Some of them are not genuinely part of the church because the church is global and timeless. And it is... It is made up of all the redeemers, uh, the redeemed people of, of all time. But we, we come together in local bodies, and some of those local bodies are going to have problems. But it should be re- recalled. There's no, there is no such thing as church hurt. There's people hurt. There's, peop- there's bad people in churches. There's bad and hard situations in churches. But we love the church. I mean, so much so, that, like, I, I, have a, I have a deep affinity for the church. I, I, give a, I give a lot of time and effort to it. 
And I, I wish I could give more time and effort to the, to the body of Christ. We are the mechanism God chose to get the gospel to the nations, to the world. You remember when you were a kid, how awesome it was to be included? Maybe you had a dad or a dad figure, and he didn't really need your help, but he included you in something. He, he let you help with a project. There's nothing like that, being included. Here's God of the universe. He doesn't need you, but he's, been, he's invited you to help. And what's the mechanism whereby you can help? You get involved in the local church. That's how you help in the building of the kingdom of God. And so, here we are celebrating Jesus. It's a good time to remember his bride is what he bought when he came to earth. And so, if you're listening to me and you're not part of a local church, let me encourage you, fix that quickly. If you're in the upstate of South Carolina, you're invited to Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church is where I'm one of the elders, and we meet on Sunday mornings at 1030. We would, we would be glad to have you anytime. Beachwood.cc for more information or find any good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching local church. Go get involved in one. All right, moving on to more uh, listener feedback and friend feedback. I will only give a first name here because I don't know if he wants to be identified. Uh, we'll just call him Sam. And Actually, I work with a Sam. It's not that Sam. Sam sent me a good argument regarding this pornography thing. So last week on the show, I said we should ban internet pornography because... Essentially, it's uh, it's too easy to get. Like we we think alcohol and tobacco shouldn't be for minors, and so we make you actually spend money and go to a place to buy them. Well, pornography is free, and no one's checking your age, and so on the internet it should be banned. And Sam writes to me and says, actually quite cleverly, uh, the way he revealed it, he started talking about all these just really terrible, horrible scenarios that you would never want a kid to see, you never would want to experience, and then. It hits me with the punchline. Well, all these stories are in the Bible. And so his point, being be careful that you don't give government the power to regulate these things because they might regulate the Bible. Because the Bible has some really, I wouldn't call it pornographic, but very explicit language in it. I ruminated on that and thought through it because just he's smarter than I am. And so when he made a point, I was like, ah, well, I should really consider that because he's smart. Where I landed was this. The, the Bible has no pictures, the Bible's words. And so I, I think there is a qualitative difference between videos and images and words. And so let me go ahead and stake out a position that I wouldn't be for banning on the internet written smut. So the Fifty Shades of Grey people and those that go a step further in that smut and filth, well, let's not outlaw that. Let's not ban that. But the there is a difference between words and images, and so I would still, I'm still on board. I'm still on board for banning images and videos that are pornographic of nature, hoping to have no damage done or risk done to the Bible because the Bible is the written word. David uh, also wrote in, so we got Sam and David wrote in on this topic. Both were giving the caution that I mentioned. I mean, I'm libertarian at heart. I immediately... And very, very much against using government to get my way. I don't like it because I also see the slippery slope. I just think that pornography actually is different, that we are under-regulating it. We've, we're already regulating some other things the same way, and we need to include pornography in the same category as an alcohol or a tobacco. David wrote in and said, uh, While I personally understand the moral dilemma, as an IT professional of 22 years, there is absolutely no way to perform such a task. Even if there was a way, which there isn't, the type of authoritarian gover governmental tyranny that would be required 
he's basically be afraid. Um, it's it's too much power for a government that they could end up quashing. He says quash any and all individual liberties, including religious freedom and dissenting opinions. So I am interested in the IT argument because then it just becomes about practicality. Is it practical? And I, I, I did wonder about that somewhat in the same way as I think about guns. Like most gun regulation I oppose out of principle, but also as a matter of practicality, there's, there's more guns than people. We have more guns in the country than people. What are you going to do with them all? We almost have a there's 100 million AR-15s in, uh, in, what's that called, in rotation right now, like out there in the world. And so, what do you? How, how do you practically institute it? Well, we have hundreds of millions of pornographic images and videos. How do you possibly do this? And the answer to that is, I don't know. So David makes an argument. I don't know, and I I'll admit that to you. I I don't have a good response for that. But I I would I would like to try. I and mean, we've we've done again something on alcohol and tobacco, and pornography is hurting us. It's hurting people. It's hurting the culture. It's hurting kids. And I'd like to find a way to actually regulate it. All right, we'll continue with more listener feedback. We'll do the Star Wars thing as well when we, when we come back. And I'm going to make this Christmassy in this way. Because we're all just talking now, guys. Like one big happy family across, around a roaring fire. Here we are talking about what's been on the show in the last couple of weeks. One big happy Corey Truax Show family. A big, wonderful Christmas time conversation. We'll do more of that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us. You want to hear some more self-indulgence? That was me playing a song on the piano. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it again, though. I promise. Only this one, because it's the Christmas spectacular and Christmas stuff. So I, I learned to play a little one key at a time thing on a Christmas song. I'm sharing it with you, and now I'll stop. I promise. One more listener feedback. We're, uh, we're having a big Corey Truax Show extravaganza, and part of that is a conversation with you. It's my, one of my favorite things to do is to have a conversation with you, the listener. So let's get into it. Wayne wrote in, and about recently I was talking about taxing the rich and how I generally generally oppose it. He made an argument that I like. He says, yeah, well, we can tax the rich more only for debt reduction, to which I was like, you know what? I I still think it, I mean, I don't think it, it would. It would hurt the economy. And arguably, you might bring down tax revenues overall. But if what you were saying was, we are earmarking it, it can money is not fungible. For every single dollar we get from this group, it's just going to pay down the debt. If I had that pledge from somebody, yeah, okay. I think I could I think I could do it. I don't want to tax the rich. It's not going to help the economy any, but if you're giving me a very important principle, very important principle, let's bring this debt down. And so uh, I like that from Wayne. Wayne also mentioned there is an a certain there's a certain apostate church so it's not a church anymore. It's just a, a social club that has some religious language that's in the general area. I won't even be that specific. Uh, he had two thoughts from watching one of their services. So one was he wasn't a big fan of how there's just an invitation at the end of the service to anyone who wants to join the church. Uh, agreed. Boy, that's dangerous. Uh, joining, being a part of a church is very serious. And getting out of a church, that's why... I've done some content before on the show about church discipline. Getting in and getting out of a church is a really big deal. And so just kind of walking up at the end of a service and saying, yeah, I want to be a part of the church. Let's vote them in. 
that is not a good practice. It should be a, a really well-informed process. So I agree with you, Wayne. That's a terrible thing the churches do. And then it seemed to be that same church had someone come forward to join the church who was introduced as the partner of a woman and the father of that woman's child. So not the husband, but the partner. So, <laughs> the way that should be handled is, no, you don't join the church while we have what's what was implied is these, these folks are all just li- living together. Uh, you We have repentance to do first. So your first step is, you can't live together and not be married, so you're going to repent of that, live apart for some period of time, and then once you've actually shown that repentance for having shacked up and lived together while unmarried, well then... We, you, we can get you married, you can come back, and you join the church. So, uh, yeah, he, he sent that in as a, I guess, one of my thoughts on that. And, whoo, that would not work at Beechwood and that at our church, and it should not work at any Orthodox church. When you have a situation where someone's coming in and they're in blatant open sin, well, before you can join them in, you have to deal with the sin itself. Looks like the final thing before we get to the football segment, and i got to go fast. I saw Star Wars. Big Christmas tradition in American uh, American now is Star Wars, and the it was good, guys. I know it's a hot take for a lot of people now to denigrate the Star Wars movies, but this one was the best of the last four or five Star Wars movies. Probably even better than Rogue One. It's worth your time, worth your money. But I review things not just for their content and storyline, but their deeper meaning. So give let me give you sixty to one hundred and twenty seconds on what you can learn from Star Wars. By the way, spoiler alert. If you're listening to the podcast, fast forward two minutes. If you're listening to the radio, turn the radio off for two minutes because I'm about to tell you some stuff that happens in Star Wars. So spoiler alert, here we go. A big spoiler, Kylo Ren, the main bad guy in the movie, he turns away from the dark side. And the, 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 the instigating event for him to turn away from the dark side was the main character, Rey, having an act of compassion on him. And after his act of compassion, it leads him to an act of repentance for what he did to his father in a previous movie. And so when we ask the question, what's ever going to change people? One of the things we can learn from Star Wars is it takes acts of compassion on our parts towards people and then acts of repentance on their part to have restored relationships. Number two, one of the big themes was we get afraid and people make you scared by making you think you're alone. And so we saw that throughout the movie. That fear led people to isolation, to, to give up on their, their responsibilities, to give up on their duties because they were afraid of consequences and what would happen. And so, one of the things I need to bring out for you is let me challenge you, don't be isolated. Connect. It's risky to be isolated, excuse me, to be with people, to connect with people, but it's totally worth it. Don't isolate yourself. There's fear that you're alone out there, but you're not. So go ahead and connect. I've run a lot of time. We've got to move on to sports. Here we go on the Corey Truck Show Christmas special. Are you ready? We're going to finish up the Christmas special edition of the Corey Truax Show talking about that gift that I love so dearly. That gift is football. We'll do that with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. We are on the eve of the college football playoff. Yes, we are. Before we get into it, though. The future college football playoffs have had some implications <laughs> this last week with recruiting classes, and the rich just keep getting richer. Is Alabama, Clemson, who was, Clemson was number one, Alabama, then Ohio State was three? Ohio State was three, and LSU was four. So these are going to be the best teams for the foreseeable future. Quite some time, yep. Yeah. Um, uh, being a Clemson guy, yep. was there any particular player on that list that you, like you saw that signing list and you went, I'm excited to see that guy play? 
Well, the thing with Clemson, a lot of these guys have been committed, you know, for months. Oh yeah, e- even some for for a year or better. Um, so not really. I think um, the linebacker from Charlotte, the five star, I think he is great. I think he's yeah. a perfect fit for Clemson. Been a Clemson fan since he was a kid. So, but what I like about him is he stayed patient. He didn't, you know, he was committed to Auburn at once because Clemson didn't have a spot for him. Uh, then they, I think they figured out Justin Flo was not going to commit. Okay, who went to Oregon. They uh, brought him down for a visit, offered him right there. He committed on the spot. I mean, it, was, it was a great video. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch I'm it. Not, it is fantastic. For, especially those young guys. I love that for them. Yeah. If it's an offer they always wanted, didn't think they were going to get it. Right. That's and a cool he thing. stayed patient. You know, he was. You, you can tell this kid, he's got a great family, great parents. They were all there. It's a great video to go watch. You know, Brent Venables has had great players. I tell you, though, he's a guy that I don't think needs them. I think scheme-wise, he's so good. But you give him a five-star linebacker, he'll find something to do with him. Yeah, I mean, they've got his linebacker class that committed this year and there's only two but they're both five stars they're both the world beaters plus all the guys you have sitting i mean kane patterson is still sitting on the yeah. bench you know you've got all these guys he, you know venables loves the linebackers anyway because that's what he is uh, wasn't he linebacker yeah at k-state uh so that's his kind of his core group of what he what he cares about on the on all those other recruits i, I don't know that there was anything at least when i look at recruiting these programs that rank so high do continue to they don't need to improve it necessarily any given position. I mean, Alabama needed to get better on defense. LSU needs right. to get better on defense. But they continue to recruit four- and five-star players on yeah, defense. Yeah, they do. They just don't I, seem I, to perform like it. That's right. I think the difference is, you know, you get all these five-stars, but if you don't coach them up, yeah. then it really doesn't matter. I think that's what Clemson does a very good job of. Yeah. is they, they And what I like about them is they don't just go for the five-star, quote-unquote, talent. They go for the person. Does the person fit the program? Yeah. And if they happen to be a five-star, that's just – Icing on the cake. Before we get into this playoff, I do want to mention on that. My, maybe one of my top five favorite c- college football stories when it comes to recruiting is Kevin Dodd. Yep. Because Dodd was a two-star. So was Grady Jarrett, by the way. Was he really? Yeah, he was a two-star. Grady Jarrett just got voted to his first Pro Bowl. Adam Humphreys was a one-star. Yeah, well, you know what? I would have given Adam Humphreys a one-star, too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look what he's doing in the NFL. He's yeah. making, what, $10 million a year? Yes. That's what's nuts about some of these guys that came, I've seen come through Clemson. Yeah. They weren't highly regarded. They sat on the bench for a long time at Clemson. Right. Now they're going to Pro Bowls and earning millions in the NFL. Yeah, they coach them. They give them, you know, playing time during regular games, not just garbage time. Yeah, they they coach them up, and then boom, NFL here yeah. they come. All right, so to the playoffs, we'll start with LSU Oklahoma. Uh, I think we both see this as a particularly high scoring game. Yeah. Let me ask you this question about the Vegas line. The Vegas line has it at LSU favored by thirteen and a half points. Right. Do you think it is? A two possession game, or is that line too high or too low for you? Uh, I think it's a little too high for me. To me, I do. I'd probably do ten, something like that. That's yeah, something like that. Maybe eight or nine, anywhere I, around there. I don't see a scenario where. Oh, I forgot the guy's name. The Oklahoma coach that I like so much, but that guy. Yeah. I don't see him getting blown out by two possessions that way. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that Lincoln Riley is a good enough coach. You give him a month. Right. He's not getting blown out of the building. No, I, I think. Both of their defenses are suspect anyways, are. which most people would say. Uh, so it's just going to be a, a shootout, really. Um, I don't know that Oklahoma has the firepower with Jalen Hurts to out-duel Burroughs in their offense. That's yeah. just how I see it. And I see it similarly where Oklahoma could put up some points, and I don't think it's LSU going to be doing something to stop them. Right. But when you're asking, who do I got Burrow versus Hurts in their, the variety of things they can do? Yeah. Burrow is the more versatile player. Yeah, I think Burrow is more versatile. I think um, LSU's receiving core is well, better good. than Oklahoma's. Me too. And Oklahoma, they just don't play defense. 
LSU doesn't play much defense. I mean, you know, you give up, what, 38 to Vanderbilt. So I, I think it'll be a high score, and I don't think it'll be a blowout, though. The I think about these uh, – I'm not much of a math guy, but when it comes to football, I think about think about football that way. Yeah. Like, I go into an NFL game knowing – Look at my Dallas Cowboys. We're going to get the ball 11 times. That's typical NFL. Right. In college, you usually get 14 or 15 possessions. And you wonder, how many of those can we score on? Right. And if I'm LSU going into Oklahoma, I'm going to get the ball 14 times. I think I might score like half the time. Yeah, half, probably 75% of the time. I mean, it's going to be – in Oklahoma, you're probably not going to score half the time, a little bit less. Right. And so it just it just seems right to me that LSU is going to win that game, go on to the national championship game for the first time in – a uh, long time, probably close to 10 years for LSU, Yeah, right? 10 or 12, yeah, something like that, that, since Saban was there. Then out in the desert, the the last time that Deshaun, uh, Clemson and Deshaun Watson were yeah. out in the desert, it was ugly for Ohio State. <laughs> it was ugly. Um, but now, Ohio State does have a better quarterback this time with Fields. Uh, they have a, probably a better running back because uh, Dobbins, Dobbins is better than Hyde, right? I think so, yeah. Probably Dobbins is better than Hyde. Yeah. Um, I still wonder, I know Ohio, State, Ohio State's defensive backs are highly regarded. Yep. I they're I really highly regarded, like, but who has tested them this year? Mm-mm. Not, not nobody, really. Right. And there's only one of them I really believe in. I believe the uh, Akuba guy. Yeah, yeah. I think he's an NFL. Oh, player. he's he'll probably be first rounder. I I, I hope the Cowboys can get him. Yeah. Like is that kind yeah, of guy? He's great. Yeah. I like that guy. The others that are being so talked up, like they're big, they're big corners. Right. I've I've seen enough Ohio State games to go. Some of the technique is wrong. They, yeah. they tend to be in the wrong place a lot. It's almost like they have good run support corners. And that's great to have. That's great to have, but who have they played that has the receiving core that Clemson has? Who they're all six four or better, right? I mean, it's a good matchup for Clemson, even in the scenario. Yep. Let's say Okuba just plays lights out, and whoever he's on, he shuts them down. Well, that's fine, but then who's going to shut down the other four that's guys? A, yes, I'm talking about. <laughs> like I actually think Okuba. So might you want to lock down T. Higgins? Okay, no, he cool, gets right. two or three catches, he has fifty yards. Great. Awesome. Who's going to shut down Ross? Who's going to cover Amari? And the re- um, Amari. Uh, that's oh, let's go quickly on that. That was the best recruiting job of the entire. Uh, yeah, that's another five star that's coming back next year. Amari Rogers, right? Because that dude is good. Yeah, he's good. Keep him. So anyway, I understand all the hullabaloo about man. This is a great Ohio State Clemson matchup for wide receiver versus corner. Yep, and it is. Clemson's wide receivers are are better one through five. Maybe their best corner is as good as the best. Wide okay, receiver. so you take their best corner and put it on Clemson's best receiver, who I don't think you can argue against T Higgins. Yeah, fantastic, awesome. What about the other four people? It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a real big problem when you start getting through the rest of that. And we don't even mention there that whole uh, Travis Etienne guy. You, exactly. You know, uh, let's just is, keep going down the list. I love. I, I mean this man. I love Chase Young. I think they have the best defensive end and the best corner in football. Yep. But those two guys can affect the game. Can you affect the game for four quarters? Can you affect the right. game for fifteen possessions? Maybe those guys affect the game for five possessions. Right. But you can't. Clemson is this thing that just keeps coming it at you. It just keeps coming. So you want to run two high safeties. That's fine. Now, who's going to cover the middle? You want to run man. Okay, who's going to get ETN and the it's other tough. receivers? Yep. Okay, Chase Young's going to put pressure on the quarterback. So you run a screen, you hand it off. I mean, what are you going to do, honestly? I think Ohio State's defense is great, but I think Clemson can score. Uh, give me 30, 31 to 34 on them, maybe more. Yeah. I think they can score. And I, I think Justin Fields is awesome. He's awesome. I just think Fruit Venables is better. I I'm telling you, I'm not going to bet against the Clemson defense. Yeah. Anybody that's bet against them thus far has lost. I mean, it's just what it is. He He's had a month to watch film mm-hmm. on Ohio State, and who's a better game planner than Venables? The, I don't think there is one. The answer is none. Fact right. check true. Yeah. No one is better. <laughs> I don't he's think the, there's anyone better. He's. I've never seen anybody disguise the the coverages and the blitzes and the you know, all that stuff better than he does. They yeah. come from everywhere. They do. 
and it's never the same. And because they're all so athletic, right. when you see uh, the number three, is Xavier Thomas? Yeah. When you see him drop off into coverage, a lot of times you go, why aren't you rushing the passer? Right. Well, because A.J. Terrell is from the other yeah, side. Yeah, because Isaiah Simmons is back there five yards deep sacking so, the quarterback. So Let, Let's get go, this straight. Yeah. Chase Young is the best defensive end in the country. I, I don't think you argue that. But I think Isaiah Simmons is the most versatile, um, effective defensive player in the country. I think that's true. Uh, he can run multiple positions. Now, Chase Young is great. Rushed quarterback, sacked awesome. quarterback. Yeah. And that, that translates well to the NFL, it does. But I don't know what you can do with Isaiah Simmons. I just don't. He um he does actually. Chase Young reminds me of Vic Beasley. Yeah, he does. I think he's that good. Yeah. I don't think he's better, but I think he's that good. Right. But that is just the, the one thing. Do you think he'll be a linebacker in the NFL, or are they going to keep him on the end? The, the, he seems kind of small to me in the NFL to he, play. He can play a 3-4 linebacker. Right. Which is what Vic Beasley ended up doing for a while. Yeah, that's it, what I mean. Yeah. When Atlanta was in a 3-4 with the Falcons. Um, okay, so when Clemson has the ball, I think they have the advantage. I think they have a slight advantage when Ohio State has the ball. Yep. The Vegas line is Clemson by two, mm-hmm. I think it is. I do see the game as a 31-24, 30-23. I think Clemson wins by six or seven. Yeah, to me, I think it's two possessions. Clemson maybe 35-21, something like that, 24 yeah. maybe. One last football note as we go into these playoffs. It is my opinion that whoever does pull it out, Ohio State-Clemson, I think they might roll LSU. I think either one, Ohio State or Clemson, yeah. beats them by two or three possessions. Yeah, so do I. You do? Of okay. course I do. We're on the same page. I've been saying all year. Who, LSU has, has no defense. Plus, these, these last four teams can all score. We've already talked about Oklahoma, LSU. Oh, yeah. But when you get Clemson, you have a good offense and a good defense. Ohio State has an effective defense and a very good offense. LSU hasn't seen anything like it. And yes, they play in the SEC, but I mean, what is there in the SEC? Alabama and LSU. That's that's pretty much that's it. the end of the list. People need to stop talking about Georgia. They lost to South Carolina. Blah blah blah. Georgia's not there. Not right now. Right. If you are listening live on his radio talk ninety one point nine, you are listening on the twenty eighth of December. These games start in just a bit. Four o'clock will be uh, the LSU Oklahoma matchup, and then in the middle of the night, Clemson <laughs> is going to play uh, Ohio State tonight. So enjoy the games. Heath, for co- thanks for coming in and talking sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.